You're so happy for being set free that you're going to obey him. Hmm. That is our reason for obeying these laws, not to try to score points with God. All right, so we stuck another sword in legalism, right? All right, good. Okay, maybe we'll do that again in 10 minutes. All right, okay, so just keep going here. All right, uh, where are we here? Uh, verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. It is my belief that there is nothing new in the New Testament. I mean, the New Testament obviously teaches things more clearly than the Old. The, the one exception I, I may have in mind is, is the teaching of the second coming. Uh, I have not been convinced that there is a single passage in the Old Testament that talks about the second coming of Jesus. Okay, maybe there is, but uh, personally I, 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 don't, I haven't seen it, okay? And uh, I mean, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise, okay? But, but uh, I think maybe that's the only new thing in the New Testament, that there are two comings of the Messiah. Okay, everything else in the New Testament is already taught in the Old, including this idea that you're supposed to love your enemies. Look with me, please, at, at Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. The New Testament teaches that when someone does you wrong, you're supposed to do them good back. And what does the Old Testament teach? Exact same thing. It teaches the exact same thing. If someone does you wrong, you're supposed to do them right. And of course, the, the automatic response to that is, what about the law eye for eye? Why don't you turn back to that, Exodus 21. Exodus 21, verses 23 through 25, called the lex talionis, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for boon, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What does that mean? Does that mean if you hurt me, I am supposed to hurt you back? No, no, not at all. Uh, I, I was so happy in Sunday school today when uh, Phoebe Rist uh, reminded us all of the doctrine of sphere sovereignty. I got warm fuzzies uh, deep inside. Uh, you, you recall from the doctrine of sphere sovereignty that uh, some laws in the Bible are directed to the individual, some are directed at the family, some are directed at the church, some are directed at the state. This law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is a law for whom? For the state. It directs the courts, how they are to administer justice. And I mean, is there any other law you would want the courts to have? I mean, what does this law mean? The punishment should fit the crime. I mean, the only other alternative is that the punishment should not fit the crime. I mean, is that what you want? You want punishments that are too strict? or too lenient in our courts? I mean, don't you want justice? Justice means people getting what they deserve. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Of course, the Pharisees' mistake was applying this law to personal relationships. Jesus attacks that incorrect use of it in Matthew chapter 5. My point here simply is that, well, what can I say? I grew up in a liberal church, and every time I, I read the Bible, I always, with, with one ear, just, just hear all these uh, liberal attacks against the Bible, and this is one that I heard countless times growing up, that the New Testament teaches one thing and the Old Testament teaches another. I utterly disagree. Both Testaments teach the exact same thing. The New Testament is certainly clear in what it teaches, but it's not like the Old Testament teaches about an evil, mean, vengeful God, and the New Testament some nice, sweet God who wants us to turn the other cheek. By the way, what are you supposed to do when you turn the other cheek? You're supposed to take it? You turn the other cheek. Fine, they hit you again. What are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek again? Is, is that all? I mean, come on, folks. What are, what are you earning when you turn the cheek? You're earning the right to evangelize. You're earning the right to share the gospel with that person. 
just, just think about it. If you, if you refuse to hit back for the rest of that person's life, you have you've earned an open door into their life to share the gospel with them, and they're never allowed to tell you to shut up. You, 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 all the rest of your life, you get to tell them about Jesus, and they're, they're never allowed to say, I, I've heard enough. I don't want to hear about this religion stuff. You just, you know, it's not appropriate to talk to me about Jesus. Yep, too bad. You hit me, I turn the other cheek. Ha! <laughs> so, turn the other cheek doesn't mean be a wimp. It means fight back with spiritual weapons. Mm. All right. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. If you look with me at verses 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I do not believe the Bible ever commands an emotion. I've read some people who disagree with me on that. And again, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise if I'm wrong. But I do not believe the Bible ever commands you to feel a certain way. Because you can't control how you feel. You'll note that the Bible never commands you to like your neighbor. You can't make yourself like your neighbor. That would be hopeless. The Bible commands you to love your neighbor. Okay? Love is an action. You can make yourself love someone you don't like. Okay? You can't make yourself like someone you don't like. I never, I never say to my students, you, know, you have to do your algebra homework, and you have to like it. Yeah, that would be hopeless. You know, I say to them, listen, if you don't like it, that's fine. Just do your best, glorify God, move on. So when we are told to rejoice in the Lord always, I do not believe we are being commanded to feel a certain emotion. I've been told many times that joy and happiness are two different things. I think I would agree with that. It is possible to be very unhappy, to have uh, circumstances around you that are, are very unhappy circumstances, and yet to rejoice in the midst of that. Uh, Paul and John are beaten and released in Acts chapter 5, and it says that they rejoiced for the privilege of having suffered for the name of Jesus. So even in the midst of their suffering, they rejoice. Paul and Silas do the same thing in prison after they're beaten and put in stocks. We rejoice even when we're unhappy because we still have Jesus. I mean, I, I realize I'm not telling you something you don't already know here. I'm sort of reminding you of the obvious here. I mean, Christ loves us. He died for us. He rose from the dead. We have a relationship with God. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, amen. All right. And, and that, that provides the, the sort of the foundation for our joy. I mean, I, I hope you're happy. I'm never going to pray for you to be unhappy, but I know there's times where you are going to be unhappy but you can still rejoice in the midst of that because of what God has done for you in Christ. We are told to pray without ceasing, not literally meaning to pray every moment, that would be impossible, but simply to pray consistently, to pray constantly. If you look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, I preached on this verse back in November. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, We pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He wanted to return to Thessalonica. He was unable to. He kept praying again and again, morning and night, that God would take him back there. And that's what he means by praying without ceasing. I hope to uh, send my novel to press this week. And when it was, when it was examined by uh, a number of professional editors, none of whom were sci-fi editors, by the way, sort of bothered me, but anyhow, um, their biggest complaint was that the characters were Christian. And these are Christian publishers. Their biggest complaint was that the characters were Christian. Not all of them, but the main one is. 
And the idea was that only unbelievers are interesting. Only unbelievers are interesting. Why would you write a story about a Christian? Or if it's a Christian, it has to be a really, really immature one. Someone who thinks and talks and acts like an unbeliever. And again, the idea was that a mature Christian is not story-worthy. And what they, what they took most offense at was the character constantly praying. Just throughout her life, she is carrying on this running dialogue with God. She prays to Him, a sentence here, a paragraph there. It's not like she just has one sort of set time of prayer in the morning where she prays five minutes, another set time before she goes to bed. She has a relationship with God. And it's like, you can't show a person doing that. Well, why not? Don't people like that actually exist in the real world? Actually, yes, they do. There's lots of them. I know many Christians who actually pray without ceasing. They're carrying on this constant dialogue with God all day long. And say, people like that don't exist. Yes, they do. You say they're uninteresting. I say they are interesting. I say they're very story-worthy. I say, in fact, there's no one more story-worthy. Ha. <laughs> huh. There's nothing magical about praying without ceasing. You have a relationship with God the Father, that God the Son has earned for you. You can talk to Him all day long. And I hope that you do. And when you do, you'll be even more interesting than you are now. <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances. If you've read The Hiding Place, you'll know that uh, Betsy Tenboom's interpretation of this verse was that you should thank God for everything. And her, so her sister, Corey, disagreed with that interpretation. Now, I'm not sure I agree with Betsy on that. Uh, I never see a prayer in the Bible where someone's thanking God for their hardships, their trials. However, I mean, she was in a concentration camp and I wasn't, so I'm not going to just pretend like I know what I'm talking about either here, okay? Uh, she, do you remember the story? She said that we should even thank God for the what? The lice. And I mean, they were covered with them all the time. And they found out eventually that that's why the Nazi guards wouldn't go in to uh, their living quarters, and that's why they were able to conduct their ministry, their Bible studies in there. The lice is what actually gave them the freedom to do that. Uh, I don't know if you're supposed to thank God for the lice or not, but it is clear that you're supposed to thank God regardless of what your outward circumstances are. Um, this is one of the best things about having children. I mean, I, mean, I, I love praying with two-year-olds, three-year-olds, you know, just start thanking God, thank you God for the wall, <laughs> bug, <laughs> doll, wall. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I mean, just, just thanking God, you know, there's no hesitancy. And it grieves me when, when I talk to someone, you know, and I, I'd really love you to pray and thank God for, well, what should I thank God for? I don't know what to pray. And isn't that sad? And it's so sad, all that God has done for us. And even no matter how bad your circumstances are. I mean, the promise is that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And I urge you to thank God regardless of what your outward circumstances are right now. All right, um, let me stick another sword in legalism here real quick. Okay. I, I want you to imagine uh, two students, all right? They're both in my chemistry class. And they both study really hard for their test, and I grade them, they both get 100. Hand back their test. Now, one of those students 
has accepted the grace freely offered in Christ that he has earned for him through his active and passive obedience, a grace that he could never earn or repay, and in sheer gratitude for the amazing gift that Christ has given him, he said, I'm going to subdue the earth to the glory of the God who has saved me. And so I'm going to do my best on this test as a way of honoring him, just out of sheer gratitude. And the other one says, well, I know God's into this whole subduing the earth thing, so maybe if I try my best, I'll score points with God and he'll like me. Now, from the perspective of the teacher, do they both get 100%? Yes, I don't care about their motives when I grade the test. But from God's perspective, the motive is everything. Okay, the one is, is trying to obey a command, in this case, subdue the earth, trying to obey a command out of gratitude to Christ for what was freely given. And the other is trying to score points with God. So again, why are these laws given to you? So you can earn the favor of God? No. So you can live a life of gratitude to Him for the favor freely given? Yes. It's all about motive. You know, and I can't look in your heart. I certainly hope that you, and I certainly hope that I go and make a greater effort to obey these commands here. May we do so for the right reason. In general, what is offered us in this passage is a description of what life in the church is supposed to be like. I mean, God has saved us out of our slavery, but he has a vision for doing something with us. We are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, uh, a peculiar people. I mean, if, if we lived like this, we would be really weird. I mean, a non-Christian would come here and say, you are really different, okay? I mean, people out there don't live like this. They don't think like this. They don't, they don't act like this. And, and that is the kind of church we are supposed to be, uh, a people set apart, a people sanctified, uh, a people like our Lord Jesus. May we be a church like that. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for your law. We thank you for all of the thousands of commands in the scriptures. And we pray that you would help us to obey them through the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, and for the right reason, Lord, because we are so glad and so grateful to you for all that you have freely given us in Christ. May we be sanctified through and through, a people set apart, a people after your own heart, and we pray that you would do this work on us so successfully, so completely, that people could come in and see us and realize that you are real. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.